Oh, didn't see you there. Hi, my name's Jacob Coffey. I'm the tech director here at Lifehouse, and I get to introduce the guest speaker today. Uh, him and I go way back. One time, he even abandoned me on Thanksgiving. Hey, Lifehouse family, Pastor Paul here. I work with NextGen1224, and I get the privilege to introduce this week's guest speaker. He's a great friend to travel the world with. Although he walks ahead of you about 50 to 100 feet, he always knows where the restaurants are in the airport, and he pays for it. Hi, I'm Liz Tate, and I oversee LH Kids, and I'm so excited for this morning's guest speaker. I egged his house once and got caught red-handed on his ring doorbell, and he still speaks to me. Hey, Lucy Williams here. I'm the director of Life Groups and Rooted Groups, and I have had the privilege of working with our guest speaker for the past 14 years. And if you think I can bust a move, you should see his Rickroll. I'm Jay Bean, and I serve on the executive team here at Lifehouse. And we had a great summer, it's been an awesome time, but this morning I have the awesome privilege to introduce our guest speaker. He is the one and only, your senior pastor, Ryan Coffey. Lifehouse, let's stand and welcome him to the platform this morning. Oh, you can sit, thank you. You guys are giving the new people kind of a, a misperception about what's about to happen. Uh, they, they're like, man, he must be an amazing communicator, and they're going to be so disappointed this morning. It is good to be back, and uh, that stupid video that I did only for Dream Team was only supposed to be available for the Dream Team party uh, has continually haunted me, and the irony is... Um, You'll have to uh, listen to the message intently today because uh, the fact that that video was up there is really ironic. But um, for those of you who are new uh, to LifeHouse, and there are uh, quite a few of you that have made the mass migration east from the West Coast and uh, different places, uh, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm, I'm the pastor here. And... Uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I, I, we chose this church based upon all of the amazing speakers that we had. And we did have some really amazing messages, not just the guest speakers, but Pastor Jay and Pastor Lucy. And uh, I know Kelly said this at the outset of worship, but we just can't be um, so uh, more thankful and grateful that we have a church that continues to uh, grow and flourish and, and thrive even in the midst of our absence. And um, probably especially because of our absence. And, uh, and so we're just grateful for our staff. And uh, I, I know I thanked them last week in the video, but I uh, just want to say thank you again. Um, for those of you who are new, uh, you chose this church based upon uh, us not being here. And, uh, and so you have uh, uh, the next 35 minutes to decide whether or not this is going to be your church. And you, you, you may be on the hunt again, uh, but Kelly and I were fortunate enough to take a sabbatical for the past 12 weeks, and uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure uh, how, how that would be for us, like how much rest we would really be able to engage in, not because it wasn't enough time, but uh, we, we have for really since our... Um, 
I mean, since we graduated from college, we have been on the ministry treadmill for 21 years now. We have just, day in, day out, week in, week out, we have been on the ministry treadmill. And uh, and so I wasn't sure, were we going to go through withdrawals? Were we going to uh, enjoy it? Were we going to go visit other churches and, and see how they do church? Or were we going to spend time... Um, in prayer with one another and in the word or, you know, what, what was going to happen in the midst of this? And, uh, and I would just say that for us, it, it really brought a lot of clarity uh, in how we are to um, carry out our ministry and our calling in this church, but also it brought us some clarity in how we want to lead LifeHouse into the future. We kind of said, we, we want to see what the next 14, we want to get to the next sabbatical in 14 years and uh and because we really liked having three months off uh, <laughs> sometimes pastors come back from their sabbatical and resign their church and uh and i understand why because they felt what it was like to not be on the treadmill for three months but I will tell you that our calling has only been reinforced over the last three months. Uh, there is no uh, us resigning or any of that that's taking place. Everybody just take a deep breath, all right? It confirmed a, a lot of things for us, uh, but it also reignited some old ministry passions that had uh, been extinguished. And so we're excited to kind of re look at some of that, and not, not that there's going to be huge changes or any of those things, but just uh, some things that maybe in the midst of just trying to survive as a church, we, we let some of those things get extinguished, and so we're excited now that we're healthy and we're thriving, uh, that we can reignite some of those things. But um, our hope, ultimately, is that for every one of us at this church, is that we continually discover the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives so that we actually can be on his mission for this world. And as I said earlier in, the, in, in my prayer, there's, I think there's a, a few things going on in the world in the news today, right? I mean, just a few things. Uh, there's there's some, some pretty craziness. There's a lot of craziness going on. And I, I was talking with a friend recently, and he had just moved his family uh, out of San Antonio. They were part of our church and leaders, uh, council and all kinds of stuff. And, and they're looking for a new church in their new city that they live in. And he was sharing with me last week that uh, it's been difficult to find a place where the message, the, the teaching that's being given isn't uh, a shaming message or a a uh, condemning message to the congregation, that, that they were really surprised that as they were looking for churches, how uh, condemning the, the teaching was towards, pe towards the congregation. And, uh, and I just, I tell you that because I want you to know that my role as a, a teacher, as a pastor, is to bring instruction, not condemnation. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit points out those areas in our life where we need adjustment and changes. That's not me. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit, and you don't want me to be the Holy Spirit. But I am a pastor and a shepherd and a teacher, and uh, my role is to, to bring instruction and to help us as a congregation live in this ever-changing culture 
and to be reminded in how we are to respond to this ever-changing culture that we are a part of. There's a lot of what is seemingly, and I could make an argument, probably not just in our country, but as Kelly and I have had the opportunity to travel internationally a little bit this summer, um, luckily we got it all in before things start shutting down again, but um, there seems to be a lot of fighting and arguing going on in the world, in, in the country. It seems as though there, there is a lot of opinions, there's a lot of um, feelings that are being expressed, a lot of loud voices that are being listened to and heard, and, and I just, I, I get the impression that a lot of these things that are being fought over or argued about really are not eternal things. It's not to say that they're not important things. They are important things, for sure. But I do wonder whether or not we've spent a lot of time and energy and effort and emotion fighting about things that aren't eternal. Next week, we're starting a series called Fight the Good Fight. And the theme, for, the, the theme verse for that series is, uh, from First Timothy, and the premise of this is, I feel like we have spent a lot of time fighting a fight that's not really the right fight, not the good fight. We're fighting and arguing, but, but I don't know that it's the thing that we should be fighting and arguing over. The theme verse, and I want to read it to you, is uh, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. And this is kind of an introduction to the series that we're going to start next week. And this is Paul really discipling Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, listen, you've made this decision to follow Christ. You have, have surrendered your, your, your life to follow him and to live according to his mission that he's called you to. And and he says to him, with everything going on in their world at the time, and I would argue that it's probably, uh, it was as difficult, if not more difficult than it is today, but we're going through some pretty crazy things today. We're seeing things we've never seen before. And, and Paul says to Timothy, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. And he says, instead, pursue righteousness and godliness, and faith, and love, endurance, and gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, when you surrendered your life to be a follower of Jesus, like, stay true to that. Stay focused on that calling, the eternal calling that you've committed to. And then in the Passion Translation, it's the same verses, but I just like the, the language that's used in this translation. It says, Timothy, you are God's man. So run from all of these errors. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're getting all of your information from Facebook, there's a lot of errors. So run from all of these errors. Instead, this is what I want you to do. I want you to chase after true holiness and justice and faithfulness, and love, and hope, and listen, tender humility. Our world needs some tender humility these days. So fight with faith for the winner's prize. Lay your hands upon eternal life to which you are called 
and about which you made the good confession before the multitude of witnesses. So it begs the question, then, what does it mean to fight the good fight? What does that mean? I think it simply means to stand firmly anchored in the word of God, in his word, stand firmly anchored in this, and stand firmly anchored in the power of the Holy Spirit for our life. It means that we set aside our feelings. We set aside our opinions for the sake of what God's word has to say in regard to how we respond to this world. See, we've got feelings, and oh, do I have opinions. My wife will tell you I have opinions about my opinions. I have lots of opinions. See, being a Christ follower, being a person who is fighting the good fight of our faith is being willing to set aside our earthly human opinions and feelings and say, what does God's word say in how we respond to this world? It has to be God's word every single time. This is the thing that stabilizes us. If we are listening to other voices more than we're listening to God's word, then we will come into situations that we've never been before and we will be unnecessarily shaken. Now, some of you, as I said earlier, you you don't know me, so you don't know my heart. And for me to come with like a really strong, corrective uh, teaching this morning probably wouldn't be appropriate. But I do want to share my heart for how what the Word of God says about how we respond to people who think differently than us, who maybe have different opinions than us. One of the things I discovered in the past couple of months is that I am not the exception to the rule. Yes, it took a sabbatical for me to realize this. I'm not the exception. And what I mean by that is I kind of went into our sabbatical with this, uh, this perception that I have uh, attended church my whole life. My parents are pastors and, and were pastors growing up. And so I, I've been in a church service almost every Sunday for my whole life. Uh, I've heard thousands of sermons. I've taught hundreds of sermons. I have led Bible studies. I've been a part of Bible studies. I've led or I've read Christian books. I have even, I went to a Christian school. I memorized Bible verses as a child and still remember them today. And I thought that going into my sabbatical, that all of that would be enough, be enough to get me through whatever is coming my way that maybe I didn't expect, that it The truth is, is that if I had enough knowledge and enough information, that that would be enough that no matter what comes our way, we'll be able to handle it. But the truth is, is I'm not the exception to the rule, and neither are you. That without a dedicated time of prayer and consistent time of prayer and a consistent time of being in God's word, we can't handle what's coming our way. We just can't. And my fear is that the authority and the instruction of God's word is being viewed more as a suggestion rather than instruction in how we are to live out our lives. 
So when we get into situations that we've never been before, our response should not be to flip on the news or social media or to listen to our friends, but to dig deeper into God's word, to get further down on our face before our Heavenly Father in prayer. And friends, what we believe about the word of God, what you and I believe about what's in here, it makes all of the difference in the world. What we believe about the Bible, the, like this is our first doctrine as a church, as a movement, as a four-square movement, but certainly as a church, this is the first doctrine, the Holy Bible. I'll just read to you what's on our website. It says the Holy Bible, and only the Bible, is the authoritative word of God. It alone is the final authority in determining all doctrinal truths. In its original writing, it is inspired, it is infallible, and it is inerrant. So from the doctrine of what we believe about the Bible flows everything else. From the doctrine of what we believe about the Bible flows what we believe about God, what we believe about life, what we believe about our sexuality, what we believe about our marriage and parenting and about civic, uh, civil government. It, it, it informs everything that we believe about everything else. If we don't know our source, then we don't know our truth. And if we don't know our truth, then we don't know how to respond, we don't know where to go, we don't know what to do. So this morning, I want us to look and see what God's Word says about how we respond to the situation we find ourselves in. Because if we aren't careful, the church can slowly lose the authority for Scripture to inform our response to how we live this life. So the next question is, is are we digging into God's word in this season? Are we digging into his word to see what God is saying about your and my response to people who maybe have different opinions or feelings than we do? I don't think it's even really possible to hear clearly the Holy Spirit in our life if we're not in his word. And, and that's ultimately what I'm talking about. The, the, the discerning voice of the Holy Spirit in our life, I don't even know if it's possible if we're not spending time in this. In our country, and as I said earlier, in our world, there is this growing divisiveness. I was going to use the word divisiveness because I like that. I don't even know if that's right. Some people say divisive, right? N no? What? Oh, the, the British do. They say, they say divisive. Uh, there, there's this growing divisiveness that's taking place in the world, and people are being forced to choose sides right now. And, and if you make a health decision, you're lumped into a whole lot of other things. If you make... A political decision, you're kind of lumped into all of those who, who think the same way as 
people in that political party may think. There's lots of opinions and feelings that are being expressed and friends are actually being pitted one against the other because they may not necessarily agree on something that they agree on. And what's happening is it's creeping into the church. And actually, I don't even think it's creeping into the church. I think it's just flat out busted the door down. It's kicked the door down, and it's like a bull in a china closet. I see pastors, as I spent a little bit of time on social media this summer, pastors kind of viscerally coming against other pastors if they don't agree on their opinion about something that they have really no business giving an opinion on. Christians judging each other, not based on the word of God, but on their feelings on a certain subject matter. There are churches, Christian churches, refusing entrance into their building because they think differently, because people might think differently about a mask. Come on. When, when, the, when the church refuses to let people in their doors because people might think differently than they do, we have effectively raised the white flag to the enemy or to use a boxing term, which is the theme for next week, we've thrown in the towel. And we've given the enemy room to create a division among the bride of Christ. So this morning, uh, just a lighthearted message this morning, I'm, uh, I'm ringing the bell, right? I'm ringing the bell, I'm sending people to their corners, uh, and I'm issuing some warnings this morning. And I know that's a lot of boxing terms in a short amount of time and would make you believe that I actually know anything about boxing, and I don't. Uh, I've maybe watched two matches my whole life. Uh, but for the sake of the analogy, I really believe that we are being issued a warning by Paul. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, he uh, is talking to the church in Ephesus. He's been thrown in prison for the sake of the mission of Jesus. And, and now here he finds himself, he's hearing these rumors and these, these stories of, of these people in the church who have differing opinions about some things. There's Jews and Gentiles, and, and they have different thoughts on how things should go and how, how people should res respond in the church. And, and so he just kind of says, listen, you guys go to your corners. Let me issue this uh, warning to you. And so your warning this morning comes through me, but really from Paul. And I want to read it to you. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, literally in prison, implore you again to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. You have been called. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have received salvation from him, and, and I don't want to assume that everyone has here this morning, but if you have, then you have a calling on your life. You are called. And Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called to. But this is how I want you to walk in that calling. I want you to walk with some humility and some gentleness, with, with patience, with showing tolerance for one, another's in love, uh, one another in love. Notice it doesn't say, I want you to tolerate people. 
That's not what it says. We're pretty good at tolerating people. But no, this is, I want you to show tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to pres uh, preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on as a reminder, there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we, when we join a church, when we go to a church or, or we check out a church, when we're church shopping, and we finally make this decision to, to go to a church, we have some high expectations, right? We have these high expectations that people aren't in the church community aren't going to judge one another. Uh, we have these high expectations that people are going to love each other and that the leadership of the church is never going to give you up. It's never going to let you down. <laughs> it's never going to run around and desert you. It's never going to make you cry. Your leadership's never going to tell a lie, and it's certainly not going to hurt you. <laughs> For some, when they discover that this isn't the case, and that the church is made up of people, they find that all of their high expectations are unfulfilled. And so what they do is they often will leave that place in search of this utopian version of what they want to experience. And it's very, well, I'm just going to say, it, it's going to be pretty hard to find. See, in the world, you can do whatever you want. In the world, if someone hurts you, if, uh, if someone lets you down, right, they make you cry, you just cut them out of your life. You just, you know what, I don't have to deal with that. But in the church, it's different, in the, in the church, there has to be this, uh, this place where we work through our issues and, and we understand that what love means, even when there are disagreements, in, even when we, we, we may have been hurt or, or we disagree or have a different opinion than someone, that, that in the church we, we have to figure that out. And Paul is negotiating with the church to realize that people are coming from very different places. And we're not all in agreement on everything. And because of that, we have to exercise some humility here. We have to exercise some gentleness and tolerance for one another. In other words, you're going to have to stick this out for a very long time. So how do we respond in a divided culture that is seemingly making its way into the church? Well, throughout history, the church has influenced the world. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But nothing's changed. We are still God's plan. The church is God's plan for this world. And if we want the world to change, it has to begin first with the church. When we shine, people are attracted to Jesus. And one of the ways that he appeals to the church is by saying, listen, when people hurt you, when people sin against you, don't allow sin against you to produce sin in you. And my prayer for our church is that it would be a place that has room for differing views on things that are dividing our world. That if the person sitting next to you doesn't agree with your view, are you going to be okay with that? And are you going to learn to love them anyways? 
Because if we want everyone to agree with us and say what we say and post what we post, if that's the kind of Christian community we are looking for, first of all, it doesn't exist. And second of all, you'll find yourself in a really lonely place. And I'm telling you this uh, as a good pastor. I'm telling you this as someone who isn't trying to like preserve people or keep something that, that some idea of what we have. No, no, no. I, this is my fear. My greatest fear is that people will go down that road of trying to find the, all of the people that agree with them and they will look uh, no more loving. Uh, they will look no more kind or generous. They won't look any more patient. They'll look no more like Jesus than they did before. And they're six years down that road. And when we start to treat the body of Christ less like a family and more like a commodity that can be discarded at any time, some we feel differently than someone else in that community, then we become really unhealthy. And I don't want us to become a community like that. I don't think we are, by the way. I don't think we are, but I know this, we can't allow it. We cannot we have to be in this together. We have to be unified in the one thing that can unify us, and that is his word. We have to be unified in his word. We have to be unified in his mission. And when we do that, even if we may disagree or agree to disagree on some things, when we are unified in his mission, we can keep our hearts pure and clean. But if we unify around the loud voices in the culture and that becomes the centerpiece, we will find ourselves isolated and we will find ourselves irrelevant. We are going to have differing opinions. I've got lots of them and there are some of you in the room that probably disagree with my opinions. And I'm happy to disagree with yours. But how are we doing with those disagreements? How, how are we actually doing with the disagreements that we have? How do we approach those disagreements? Do we label people? Do we isolate them? Do we push them off and discard them? Or do we ask questions and seek to understand and try to figure out why they disagree with us? As I said, there's a lot of non-kingdom issues that we fight over. And I'm not talking about like the non-negotiable things. I'm not talking about things of morality that the Bible talks about. I'm not talking about those things. I'm just talking about that we, have, we live in a culture right now where there is a lot of things that we are arguing over that are not kingdom-minded things. Of course we need to understand the non-negotiable things, of course. But we also know, need to know the things that we can negotiate and even allow for the differences. But there's this underlying pressure, isn't there? This underlying pressure that exists in our lives, in our culture, in this time that says, if you don't say what I want you to say, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I cannot be in community with you. And when our attitudes get crusty and religious and hardened, when we see people we, who disagree with us and we don't love them well, when we go to family dinners and we have family that disagrees with us and we don't love them and care for them and pray for them, then what we have done is effectively forgotten the mission of Jesus. 
Because when we're consumed with the mission of Jesus and the person of Jesus, then I can guarantee our hearts will go after people and we will reach people that we never thought we were able to reach before. That's where we have to go. This isn't me trying to be Switzerland and taking a neutral ground on every issue and everything. I tell people all the time, if the Bible talks about it, I'll talk about it. I have opinions. I'm not saying I don't care about what's going on in our country, but listen to me when I tell you this. If there's one thing that I've learned over the last three months, I trust God more than I trust our country. I trust the sovereign king of kings. I, I, tr- I actually trust the Lord of lords. I don't think that prayer is a, is a wimpy posture for people who aren't willing to do something. I've heard this. This is, this is a rhetoric that's taking place. Oh, that's great that you're praying about things, but we as a church now need to stand up and fight and do this. And, and I'm just sorry, but I think prayer is actually doing something. Because if we stop believing that prayer is doing something, then we are wasting our time. Spiritually speaking, if you have found yourself angry, if you are frustrated, I totally understand. I get it. You are being forced to make health decisions you never thought you were going to have to make. You're being forced to make decisions for your kids in school. And I know it's been chaos to start the school year. We're facing things that we've never seen or encountered before And my encouragement is rather than latching on to the voices that are saying what you want to hear, could I just encourage you to spend some time praying and spend some time in his word and hearing what you need to hear. I want to encourage you to challenge all the time and energy that you spend focused on all of the other things that are going on in this world and put that into your relationship with God. Stop spending so much time fighting a winless fight and let's start fighting for some things that aren't going to end in a split decision. See what I did there? Another boxing reference. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to talk about fights that are actually worth fighting. That we fight for our marriage. We fight for the hearts and minds of our children. That we fight for what it means to be in community and live in community. That we fight for a culture that is in rapid decline. That those are the things that are worth fighting for. We all have an enemy. And there's a saying that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You have an enemy. And you and I don't have to agree on every single thing that's going on in our world today and in our culture. But I do know this, is the enemy that I have is the same enemy that you have. And because of that, we can stand shoulder to shoulder and we can fight not against one another or not against other churches or other ways of thinking, but we can fight not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness that seeks so much to divide us. We have to be unified in this. And we have to do so in a manner that's worthy of that calling with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We can do this. We are called to do this. We have to do this. And if you can't do this, 
You're going to need to spend some more time in prayer with the Lord and say, God, would you break my heart? My heart's, here's what happens when we get so hardened towards people who disagree with us. That person that we disagree with is loved by God. And when our hearts get hard towards people, our hearts get hard towards him. We have to be willing to say, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Let's pray.